is the time that Kyler Murray fully takes leadership of the Arizona Cardinals, both on and off the field. So we're talking about. You are locked on Cardinals. Your daily Arizona Cardinals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked On Cardinals, Alex Clancy here, still on location. I'll be home tomorrow, I promise. You got a weird background. Just you can deal with it for another 25 minutes. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Clancy's Corner. Follow the podcast at Locked On AZ Cards. Please like, subscribe. YouTube channel as well. Thank you for making Locked On Cardinals your first listen each and every day, free and available on all platforms. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on to get 10% off your first month. So we've got a lot to discuss. While we are slowly inching toward list season, we're not there yet. We've got about six weeks. We've got the June 1 cut date. So there are things to discuss as we inch closer and closer to that. We're not so far removed from the NFL draft that we can't just bask in the sunlight of what Monty Austin Fort provided for the Arizona Cardinals. But there are some interesting things that need to be discussed. And I'm going to bring on a friend of the show here in a minute to discuss them. But one of the things that I don't discuss enough is why isn't Kyler Murray the leader of this team? Why isn't Kyler Murray the bona fide, no doubt about it, college football holding the flag running out of the tunnel leader of this team and it's kind of been Buda Baker it's kind of been nobody uh Cliff Kingsbury definitely wasn't taking that role where other organizations like I guess you could say Tennessee Mike Vrabel he's kind of the leader of that organization is it time for Kyler Murray really to take that step forward and would that kind of placate the naysayers pertaining to him being a leader uh you know my thing is whenever I can bring somebody smarter in to talk I do that so you don't have to hear me talk as much. Brad Spielberger, Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, joins me at PFF underscore Brad on Twitter. Brad is the Monty Austin Fort. I think he's the director of the fan club of Monty Austin Fort. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but I do want to dive into this right away. Kyler Murray, national optics. Great player at times. Has some not so great moments kind of a weird dude as pertaining to just a traditional quarterback from the leadership and, you know, stature standpoint. Do you think that Kyler Murray has what it takes to really just turn the page and become a true bona fide leader? Like I guess dictionary definition quarterbacks are in that regard. Yeah, I would certainly hope so. Look, I think, I mean, just from a standpoint of he's still what, like a 25 year old kid. Like we, I, yeah. I say kid, I feel so old saying that, you know, I'm, I'm not even 30 yet, but, but like, I think we forgot, I hope he can mature and we can give him that space. Cause I was an idiot when I was 23, 24 years old as well. Um, but even beyond that, like, look, we've known he was one of the best players in all of football, his entire life. I almost think to a degree having Cliff Kingsbury be his first NFL coach, like sure. It was good for, in some ways, Probably also a bad thing because it continued, you know, a guy that admitted he recruited him heavily and, and, and sought after Kyler Murray from the, what, he was 17 years old um, and already was kind of lauding this player. So it also maybe gave him some leeway to kind of not really grow and, and be, you know, super duper committed to getting better and better each day. Because again, when you're an awesome athlete as he was, when you're a special talent, he obviously does still work very hard. He got his extension for a reason, was awesome in the first half of 2021. Everyone kind of wants to forget that, I guess, now because he plays a lot of Call of Duty or whatever. But um, 
but yeah, like I think when you get back to football, when you're committed, uh, a guy like Jonathan Gannon, who who I think like yeah, he gets made fun of. He's a football nerd. Like he's obsessed with football uh, and improving every single day. I think he can. I think that people need to give have patience with Kyler Murray, and if he can become that guy that can kind of get everyone in line and, and get everyone, um, you know, focused on the ultimate goal, he can be an all-around really good leader and player at quarterback for this team. Yeah, and look, you know who else got made fun of before he became head coach? Mike McDaniel. And look at what he did with Miami. Like, it doesn't matter what your head coach looks like. Yeah, he's got some weird mannerisms. So does every human being on the planet. Who gives a rip about that? And what you say about Kyler, like, all 22-year-olds, 25-year-olds play video games now. 50-year-olds play video games. They're getting divorced because of video games. Okay, you'd much rather have him. And as he's, you know, he's got some cheese in a video game production company. Like, that's is he not allowed to have, you know, hobbies? Do you want him out at 3 o'clock in the morning at clubs? Like, I know that that's a tired way to, you know, look at the spectrum here. But there are a couple of things you said. First of all, I think Kyler Murray won in spite of Cliff Kingsbury, not because of him. I don't know why that's not, like, streamlined thought process, but he is not a finished product whatsoever. You look at Josh Allen, what happened after Brian Dable left, he turned into turnover-happy Josh Allen. And sure, he's – I'm not comparing them directly, but you need a good ecosystem – and cocoon around you to be able to thrive in this league. And with that, we've seen him more on social media, which is little, but he's not, he's kind of breaking out of his shell. That way he's kind of becoming a human in that regard. Like, what do you think Kyler Murray needs to work on most to be able to become the great leader on and off the field, at least from, again, from a national perspective, from what you see in your lens. Looking at the national lens, one thing too, like not to make excuses for the guy, of course he can rise above things and be an individual and be a leader, but you know, a guy, Alex Smith, 34 years old, goes to the Washington Commanders and is talking about how hard it is to have everyone stay focused on football when the GM's doing things, the ownership group's doing things. There's all these things going on. And in Arizona, you have Steve Kime having issues off the field. You have a coach get fired midseason, ownership getting sued by a former personnel director, getting one of the worst grades in the NFLPA report card. Like, Kyler can rise above that, but let's not act like that. The ecosystem he was in was not impacting his ability to kind of push through that. So, yeah, I think what he can do, look, the clause in his contract tied to studying more film was not in there by accident, or it's no longer in there, but, you know, it was not asked for by accident. Um, I think he can be all the cliches, a first guy in, last guy out guy, be a film junkie. I think it helps to bring a guy like Hollywood Brown in that maybe you know he's so close with they could do it together. You can get the offense galvanized get the new coaching staff involved as well. I think that's the big thing. But but like the, the story is not written. There's plenty of time for him to grow in that area as well. So I'm so happy you ended it with that. Is there that much time? Like when you look at what's coming in 2024 and I stop it. All of you, I will not, I'm not having the conversation because first of all, I think he's going to be the Cardinals head of uh, quarterback in perpetuity. But like, if say he plays 10 games and it doesn't go so well and the Cardinals get the number one overall pick, like very uncomfortable conversations are going to need to be had through the process because when it comes down to it, and I don't know why this is the case, Brad Spielberger, pro football focus, just because a player's not the GM's guy immediately, you know, eradicates any sort of cohesion between the two, which is ridiculous. But if this season doesn't go well, oh, good, this is good. Do you see a world 
where they try to move off from Kyler Murray to draft Caleb Williams if they have the number one overall pick. So I agree. It's silly in principle, and it's not tied to winning and things like that. It's more tied to if you're Monty Osfort and Jonathan Gannon and you move on from Murray next offseason, draft a new quarterback, you're basically in year one. So you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're extending your career lifespan as a GM, as a head coach, and, and more and more we see across the NFL, those are often one shot, and, and especially a GM. Like, we've had a GM hired a second time in a while. They're not even getting interviews anymore. So right. so that, I think, is a unfortunate reality of the situation, which is not tied to, like you said, actually building a roster and winning football games. Look, I do. If they're picking first overall and he plays 10 games, um, I think it is very possible, given how good Caleb Williams is, that they do make that decision. If they pick first overall because Kyler, let's say, only plays six games because of injury, well, is the injury healthy enough or, or you know, what's going on there? Anyway, it, it, I think it is a reality. It's scary because as good as these prospects are supposed to be, the unknown is always a whole lot scarier than the known at quarterback in the NFL. Murray has shown us some good tape. But, yeah, it's got to be a possibility. I'm just going to do a live stream of my life if we start having that conversation. I'm just going to live stream my podcast, not even do 25 minutes, and just field questions from everybody. It's going to be, holy she, I really hope that doesn't happen. Locked on Cardinals, your team every day. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, joining me. We're going to dive deep into the draft. One that he praised Monty Austin for it for more than – so <laughs> I've had a couple people on talking about the draft. And Brad Spielberger's like that one, the, the the one seed just above everybody else where he was just praising what Monty Osfor did. We're going to dive deeper into that next. Locked on Cardinals, your team every day. This episode of Locked on Cardinals is brought to you by BetterHelp. Okay? BetterHelp is a vessel you can use to explore yourself, talk about things, and get on your path to become the better you, all right? It's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need for yourself. But when we spend all our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched in and burned out. And therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suitable for your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at, you know, anytime for no additional charge. It's so easy. Do it from the comfort of your home, man. Turn the camera off. Turn the camera on. Do it over the phone. Doesn't matter. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash on today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash on. Yeah, I refuse I refuse to have the Kyler Murray. Because here's the thing. Brad Spielberger, pro football focus at pffbrad.com, at pff underscore Brad, sorry. Um, while the Cardinals have, and we'll talk about this, and I'm sure this is going to be the crown jewel of what you're going to discuss, that having two bites of the apple to the top five. I had you on before the draft. We talked about this before. And getting bites of the apple for the Caleb Williams, Drake May sweepstakes could be an unprecedented um tool to have i mean caleb williams could go for three first round picks two seconds and a player like we're not going to see a draft package in the past that will you know that, that will match up and you you can uh, go into more detail about this what we're going to see for caleb williams it's seen if a team chooses to to trade out so the kyler murray or caleb williams thing stop it on ice next to your next to your cores lights chill the hell out we've got about six or eight months or ten months before discussing that but pivoting to the draft everybody was nervous in the Valley 
is this Steve Kine part two? They didn't do anything in free agency, blah, 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 blah. The tampering story comes out. Here we go again. And then the lights go on. What were your thoughts? Cardinals on at three. The pick is in. It still said Cardinals. They hadn't, they hadn't, they hadn't changed the moniker on the thing. Like, what are we doing here? And then everything changed. Walk me through your next 20 minutes or 30 minutes of thought processes as it pertains to the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. So the big thing is, look, you can, of course, eventually analyze the results of the draft. That's how this league works. You're going to impact the winner loss column by the players themselves, how they develop. But the process is the real thing we can actually look at during the draft itself. And you can have a sound process and control that more as a general manager than you can how players develop, which may be tied to coaching, maybe tied to other things. So from a process standpoint, I think Austin Ford may have had the best first draft I've ever seen. I mean, like that's a hyperbolic statement, but I really don't know if it is. So first and foremost, you trade down from three for, look, I like Will Anderson a lot, but no one in the draft space had him in the same regard as a, a Nick Bosa or a Chase Young or, or that tier of prospect coming out. You get a first-round pick, not from, let's say Philly comes up and does it. Okay, cool. We have next year's 28th overall pick. No, right. you get the Houston Texans' first overall pick, which very well can be top five and a third rounder. Um, I think it's one of the best trades I've ever seen, frankly, uh, in the draft. So, again process all that yada 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 to pick the player they take next year if he stinks no one's going to look back on it in that regard but i think it is just a, a slam dunk way to start your regime and then you take the extra ammo and still go get your guy that you may have taken at three regardless at six in paris johnson uh, i think it was a masterful beginning to the monty austin ford era yeah and now with paris johnson specifically good dude wanted to play with kyler murray they dapped it up afterwards like I had a Jay Stevens from Locked On Buckeyes on last week, and he just gushed about this young man. I mean, he's large. You know, I mean, he's a big guy. Where is he going to play? It doesn't matter. Like, this was me harking back to the Kyler's, the Kyler's, the Cardinals passing on Tyler Linderbaum last year because they had Rodney Hudson to trade for Hollywood Brown. Now the Cardinals would have had their center for the next 12 years, and now they could have their left tackle, regardless of where he plays this year, whether it be right tackle, left guard. The Cardinals have needs everywhere. The Paris Johnson pick, would he have been a top three or four pick if the quarterbacks didn't front load this draft? Like, is he that I don't good? know. So I, I like Paris Johnson a lot. I do. But I'll tell you, across the league, this, this tackle class was not viewed in particularly high regard. Like, I think him going in the top 10 is would have happened regardless. But, you know, like, I'll say this. I think right out of the gate, he's going to be a phenomenal run blocker for this team. Like you said, we'll see where he plays right guard or right tackle, maybe even at left tackle. Early on in the first year, I think you are going to see him lose to power rushing. Bull rushes, you know, speed to power guys are going to give him trouble. He's to improve his anchor a little bit. And I think that... Like when you draft a guy super, super high, it's usually because they're a good pass protector right out of the gate. But I think he has all the athletic ability in the world to get there. Like you said, he may have been the draft's favorite person, right? Like super smart kid, loves football, will play anywhere, will do anything you say. So, yeah, not, not holding anything against him. But, like, is he a Panay Sewell-level prospect? No. Um, but, but he's a really, really good football player and should be right away. Yeah, and that's the interesting part. The Cardinals don't need that. They need bodies who can play. Yeah. You know, and that's the main thing. And, you know, them trading up to six was kind of looked at as, oh, they could have got him at 12. No, they couldn't no. have. No. So they couldn't have. So let's just, you know, snap that. Now we go to the second round. So the Cardinals have now, you know, picked up 
He picked up a pick next year. You know, they're moving and shaking. They got their guy. They still kept the first round pick. If they didn't draft another player, the rest of the draft, it would have been a win. Like, it doesn't matter. They got their extra bite at the apple, their extra raffle ticket for next season. And then at 34, because they didn't have to give up any of their capital for this year, all they gave up was 12 and 33 that they just accumulated, they just acquired. Will Levis drops like a little Christmas present early. Tennessee's close enough. Cardinals move down and move. Uh, Tennessee moves up to 41, moves up to 34 from 41, gives Cardinals 41 and the 72nd pick, I think, which supplanted pretty much the pick that they would have, they had to swap with Philly with the tampering and who falls in their lap. The apple of my eye in the second round at 34, even though I knew it was a little bit of a reach in BJ Ojolari. I had Caroline Fenton of Locked On LSU on last week. She talked 10 minutes about this, dude. I couldn't get a word in. And I was like, this is the greatest interview I've ever done. Because I got all the, I didn't have to ask any questions. I learned about, do you know about number 18 at LSU? Why people, yep. why oh, people yeah. 18? I had no idea about that. I'm from the West Coast, man. And he's wearing 18 as a rookie with the Arizona Cardinals. This dude seems to be like a Paris Johnson type where he's not tip top everything, but the dude shows up. He's a good kid and he can do a little bit of everything really well. Is that accurate? 100%. 110%. And the big thing, too, is people pointed to his testing. He was injured. He had a hamstring injury during his testing. His numbers and his RAS score and all that is irrelevant because he was not healthy when he did it. Go watch his film and tell me he's not a good athlete, uh, and I'll ask what film you're watching. So, look, again, like, do I think he was a first-round talent? No. But like you said, a very good player, I think a really good stand-up outside linebacker that Jonathan Gannon is going to love to use. His pursuit plays, he it does not quit. On any given snap, he runs after quarterbacks, after running backs, just with reckless abandon. Love the pick as well. Again, after a trade down. And just have to mention this because my favorite like nugget of all time right now, using Las Vegas odds, and, and we agree, hopefully the Cardinals are not picking first overall, but they currently have number 1, 2, 33, 65, 68, 64. No, 1, 2, 33, 65, 66, 68 uh, projected for next year. And you still get two awesome players in the first two rounds anyway. I mean, I, can we just sim this season? I mean, can we just Madden this season really quickly? I do. Let's hit these next two um, on the other side, because I do want to talk about Garrett Williams and Michael Wilson. You had some interesting thoughts on Twitter about both of these gentlemen. Maybe not super top tier household names, but that does not mean these guys can't be starters week one, especially with the roster is currently constructed, even though both of whom came off injuries in 2022. We'll roll that on. I do want to ask about DeAndre Hopkins. I'm going to put his over the cap hat on that Brad Spielberger as it pertains to the Cardinals have the option of cutting DeAndre Hopkins post June 1st, if it makes sense to save 10 mil against the cap. All that as we wrap up this Tuesday edition of Locked on Cardinals, your team every day. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, contributor to OverTheCap.com. Just a machine over there. And I told you, you've supplanted Trevor Sikama as my favorite Pro Football Focus guest. Um, and I texted him. I told him that. I don't care. Like, I'm I'm here, and I'm telling the truth here on Locked On Cardinals. Follow me on Twitter at Clancy's Corner. Follow the podcast at Locked On AZ Cards. Please go like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Turn notifications on. want to hit 3K before the 2023 season. Uh, I am here for you, with you, and by you. Please DM me on Twitter. You know, let's just, let's have this open flow of communication. Do not ask me about Kyler Murray or Caleb Williams yet. I'm putting a moratorium on that. So, third round pick for the Arizona Cardinals. Christian Gonzalez was dropping. And for those that know who Brad, Brad said, Christian Gonzalez, I think, was your favorite player in the draft, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so he dropped to 14, 15, 16. My spidey sense is like, can the Cardinals move back into the first to draft Christian Gonzalez? They didn't, obviously. In the third round, they get an absolute stud who was injured towards, I think he got injured in October and November of 2022, corner Garrett Williams out of out of Syracuse. Give me a 30-second rundown of this dude, and if he could be a starter week one when he's healthy. Healthy, yes. The rundown is, if he doesn't tear his ACL in October, he is going as a top 40 pick in this draft. I mean, I know it was a super deep cornerback class, one of the best I think we've had in a long time, but but a, a big physical outside corner, great mirroring, great athlete. I think you want to play him in zone, uh, but he probably could play up in press if they wanted him to. But yeah, just very fluid, very good athlete, good use of his hands, but not too grabby and get, getting a lot of penalties. He's a stud. And I love the aspect here, too, of if he can't play right away, you're not really trying to win in week one anyway, necessarily. So it's a smart long-term pick. It's the sneaky tank is what my buddy coined it. The sneaky tank, uh, the passive tank. Yeah. So he, and you know what? The Cardinals need dogs on this team, you know, and I think they drafted three of them in the first three picks. And that's something, you know, he's going to be wearing 21 Patrick Peterson's old number. Like it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside petty Patrick Peterson. We, Happily called him on this podcast, uh, requesting a trade, coming back, popping for PEDs, then wanting more money. Patrick Peterson at his finest. But he's going to be wearing number 21, and the dude loves to hit. And that's something we haven't seen from a CB1 really in the last 10, 12 years. Uh, I know Antonio Cromartie did a little bit, but he was a CB2. And then we have um, the corner out of uh, – or, or, or the wide receiver. Why is his name escaping me? The wide receiver out of uh, – Michael stadium. Wilson. Yeah, Michael Wilson, sweet, jeez. Yeah, Michael Wilson, so 6'1", plays outside, can play inside a bit. Tell me about this guy, another non, you know, top household name come from the Pac-12 where everybody on the East Coast is sleeping when these guys are playing. I think he's a guy where it's a high floor pick, right? And look, we're almost at pick 100, so that makes sense. But like you said, a taller guy in a class of a lot of short kind of slot-type receivers uh, or just Zs, not true Xs. I think he has the ability to potentially be a true X receiver. Look, I'm not going to count him to DeAndre Hopkins, but you know, you see last year when that role goes out of the offense, I'm now blanking on the uh, you know his replacement last year um, who was kind of just like a, a body at X when DeAndre Hopkins was injured. But nevertheless, like – he can come in and be that contested catch, like big body receiver. He can box out. He can be a big target for Kyler Murray to trust down the field. Is a fluid route runner, can create some separation. You know, Hopkins always gets knocked for not really doing that, but he just makes every catch so it doesn't matter. Um, he, yeah, he's crisp. He's sharp. He's a smooth, big body guy. Again, I don't think he's going to be a, a, a superstar, but it could be, could be a really, really good, you know, number three option in an offense. Yeah, and the Cardinals desperately need that because if you look at this, and this is a good transition here, if DeAndre Hopkins does come back and you're looking at DeAndre Hopkins, Hollywood Brown, Rondell Moore, Greg Dorch, and Michael Wilson, like you're looking at a wide receiver squad that when Mike Kyler Murray comes back, 25 teams would rival in the NFL, barring anything. You know, like there are very few teams in the NFL that have true bona fide wide receiver wants. Having a wide receiver one and a wide receiver one A, you know, you know, be wide receiver two heavy. With the Cardinals and like, and then having all of, I call them the Teslas. I call it like Greg Dorch, Hollywood Brown, and Rondell Moore. These guys are zero to 60 and 2.6. So if you have bigger guys on the outside and you have these three guys just murdering the inside of a defense with Kyler Murray as the conductor, like it could be a whole lot worse. So as we transition into this, Brad Spielberger, 
The Cardinals could save some money if they cut DeAndre Hopkins post-June 1. The Cardinals aren't going to get full freight for DeAndre Hopkins. That ship sailed a long time ago. The only other option is to wait until the trade deadline and maybe get a third-round pick for him. But at that point, do you see it benefiting the Cardinals more to just get as much as you can for him, cut him, or try and extend him and make it work in the cap space where he remains an Arizona Cardinal for the next three seasons? Yeah, so the interesting thing, too, is, you know, I've always compassed to the Julio Jones trade. The Julio Jones trade also happened after June 1st because Atlanta wanted to wait for better cap treatment for the trade. Mm -hmm. So that also applies to trades. You can't designate a post-June trade. You have to just wait until after June 1st. Um, So maybe that also could be what they're waiting on. They say, hey, you know what? The offers weren't good enough during the draft. We'll see if a team that's been talking to us strikes out during the draft. I know Baltimore obviously did not. They go ahead and get Zay Flowers, even though, He's nothing like DeAndre Hopkins, but, you know, Buffalo took a tight end, didn't get a receiver. Whatever other team maybe is in the conversation um, could could circle back. So I still probably would take bad value. I know it stinks. It's not it's not fun to do. But, you know, even through the deadline, you're paying him eight, nine million dollars to play with Colt McCoy or, or maybe my guy Clayton Toon, who yeah. I'm also fired up about. But but yeah, I, it sucks. But I probably still just because the risk is he gets injured and then you're locked in for the full salary or something like that. Um, or he's unhappy, and, it, and it, it, it tarnishes the new regime's ability to create a new culture and a new foundation. Not that I think he's like a total curmudgeon, but it doesn't help to have a you know a, an angry vet. So I would still probably try to move him. But I hear you too, though. Like, why not just just zig when everyone else is zagging and say, you know what? No, you're going to stay. You're going to stay here. We traded for you. We gave you a new deal, and you're going to play out the life of that deal. I mean, the target monster that he is when he's healthy. You're not going to get that everywhere else. And I know that Cliff Kingsbury did underutilize him at times too. His big year here, they undervalued him by probably 20%. I mean, his red zone target should have been doubled. Like all these things. My biggest stat was DeAndre, or uh, it was in 2020, Devontae Adams had more red zone touchdowns or red zone receptions than DeAndre Hopkins had targets. And it's like, if Devontae Adams can get open, so could DeAndre Hopkins, and they just didn't scheme for him. But, yeah, like with me, and I'm not trying to, like, purposely be like, nope, let's do it this way because everybody else is looking this way. If you front load this, give him a signing bonus, do whatever it is, placate him for 2023, in 2024 with Kyler Murray healthy, in theory, and all those new young guys, this could revitalize DeAndre Hopkins' career. We saw it with Larry Fitzgerald. I'm not comparing the two. Just stop. I'm not. But – Larry Fitzgerald never really relied on his speed after 2016 or 2015 when when uh, Bruce Arians moved him in the slot. Like, DeAndre Hopkins can play anywhere. And that's why keeping him, I think, would be more beneficial. We're going way over. But I do have one more question about Buda Baker. Um, requested a trade, wanted money, requested a trade when he didn't get it. New regime, doesn't look great when the first still of Monty Alcifort was him shaking Buda Baker's hand. This is the culture that we want to build here. Everybody should be like Buda Baker. Is this a bargaining ploy and they're going to extend him? Or is this going to be like a nope, buck stops here, you don't call the shots in this new regime? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think the thing was they probably wanted to get through the draft and also just get through the early part of the offseason. It sounds like it goes back to February. Uh, he was looking for new money, like you said. And they're probably sitting there thinking, like, you know, maybe we'll consider it. He is a, a, a you know the building block, the foundation of this entire team. But let's not do that if we don't even know what we're going to look like and, and Kyler's health and all those things. I would guess that, like, when it gets around July, August, they either say, okay, you know what? Let's either move him right now or let's give him that extension, right? It's one or the other. I mean, no team ever wants to extend a guy with two years left, but 
You also trade for DeAndre Hopkins when he has four years left and, and give him an ex- or three years left and give him an extension. You mentioned Petty Pat Pete, uh, who always <laughs> complained about them taking care of outside players more than internal guys. If there's one internal guy that you probably have to take care of, it's a guy like a Buda Baker. So I don't think it's dead. I don't think it, the relationship is, is soured at all. I think it's more when you're a new GM saying, I'm not going to get strong-armed, even if he's the most important player in the building. I'm not going to have my first contract negotiation with a veteran be one where I get rolled over and strong-armed into an early extension. I'm going to be patient, let it play out, and deal with it once I'm through the draft and through all those things. I would still honestly guess that you know maybe in July, August, cooler heads prevail and they figure something out. I mean, and I haven't said this in a decade, in the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, we trust after what we've seen so far this offseason. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, joining me. Thanks so much, man. Alex Nancy, Locked on Cardinals. I'll talk to you tomorrow.